Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Changing that from one year to two years. A decision by Wisconsin's highest court on how long evictions remain public record. People are being denied housing, and we have a housing crisis that's going on right now. What an upcoming rule change means for tenants and landlords. Plus... It's terminal. It's going to kill me. The doctors have been real real clear. Breast cancer survivors and lawmakers teaming up to fight for more advanced screenings. This bill would have saved my life. Why they say many women can't rely on mammograms alone. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I am Brian Polson, and I'm joined this week by Contact 6's Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi. And as always, by Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hi. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, November 1st, for release on Thursday, November 2nd. And we're going to talk about a couple of issues today that affect a lot of people all across the state of Wisconsin. But before we get to those, Jenna, I understand Contact 6 had a, a pretty major milestone for the month of October a half million dollars back for viewers? I mean, that's a huge number. It is. It's always really exciting when we hit a half million dollars for the year. And so that happened in the first week of October. And it's only the second time in the history of our segment that we've actually achieved that. And how long have we been on the air, Jenna? 50 years. Dun, dun, dun. And you know, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say last year we reached $650,000, which is the most we've ever gotten. And we thought, you know, it's the 50th anniversary. Mm -hmm. It's a special year. Maybe that yeah. was part of it. But we've kept getting money back this year as well. And we're, we're doing another uh, another good year. It's well, been, it's been good. And our case manager, Annette, yeah. had uh, just sent an email this morning, actually, um, with the October total, which remind me again. Ooh, I, it was, I didn't see the email. Ooh. ooh. It, is it like Ooh. 50 grand? Or? Uh, yeah, it's up there. It was it's, around it was, there. I think it was more than that even, but it was just, again, like a big month like that to help push over the $500,000 was just like yeah, lots of claps. It, it's exciting because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we celebrate the milestones and we try not to put too much pressure on the dollar amount, but it is exciting when that happens. Yeah. And it's a reminder that, you know, we have two sides to contact six. We have the on-air reports that I'm doing mm -hmm. and we have a networking, you know, full-time behind the scenes working to resolve cases off-air every day and that's where most of the money comes from yeah really the on-air stuff is kind of the tip of the yeah. iceberg there's so much going on beneath the surface of the water there's a ton of work that's happening and obviously a ton of resolutions yeah i just spoke with a woman yesterday who we saved twenty five thousand dollars on a home repair issue with her insurance provider so there's stuff like that happening all the time and it's really exciting to be a part of it and help people with resolutions as little as $5, right? All the way up to $90,000, which I think is the largest resolution we've had this year, but we've got a few more months to go. So let's, let's see what we'll do for the year. That's exciting. I know that journalism doesn't work this way, but don't you just kind of wish you could have like the little terminal you could turn around and have like 15, 20, 25% where people could tip yeah, you tip for these. Cause man, at a half yeah. million, you'd be, you'd be in great shape. Right. Well, I, I, I don't know. I've never thought about it. We should have some sort of chart <laughs> on the wall where we track, you know, the amount. Oh, we've, almost, we've yeah, like the fill, the, fill the thermometer. Yeah, color it in. I, I will say, though, that when Annette sends um, 
the weekly emails that talk about the resolutions and how much we got back for the week, um, seeing because she cuts and pastes exactly what the viewer sent and just some of the messages that are like, thank you so much because of you. I got my $300. And, and while we might look at it and go $300 to that person, that might be a utility bill. That might be food for the table. So, might be a new refrigerator exactly, that hasn't been working exactly. for four months. So to see some of those, that's what what is like one of the best things. Obviously, like you said, the dollar amount is great, but to be able to help the number of people with that dollar amount. Um, right. I like big. to think of it as a service that yeah. we're offering. It is. And it's, it's not yeah. just about Absolutely. money. It's a huge service. It's about relieving the frustration mm-hmm. and the time that people are spending calling customer service and waiting in yeah. these lines forever and then talking to someone who doesn't quite understand your situation because maybe it's a little bit complicated. Right. And that's takes a lot out of a person and it can really make you sad and angry and angry at the world a little mm-hmm. bit. And it's nice to help someone just put that behind them. So I'm glad that people still know we're here and that we're helping people with all kinds of different issues. I know uh, we have holiday shopping coming up. We'll probably get a, a string of complaints about online shopping. Yeah. That's what I'm bracing for in the well, next few months. It's the, I want to point out the total dollar amount isn't the, the, bench, the benchmark of how well you're doing because maybe you have a lot of smaller resolutions in a given month but you're helping people who have nowhere else to turn, don't know where else to go. Maybe you don't have that $90,000 resolution for someone. So it's not just about that dollar amount, but when you hit a benchmark like 500,000, it tells you you're helping an awful lot of people. Well, thank you for saying that. We sometimes think of ourselves as lawyers for people who can't afford one. You know, we can't make those arguments in court for them. That's not what I mean. But there are lawyers that aren't going to take these cases because they're too small and the payout is going to be too little. They might be right. The consumer might be absolutely right, but they can't get the attention of a lawyer to help them. Right. Well, and how often, too, do we see in some of those emails or uh, in contacting and communicating with the viewers of like, I tried and tried you guys called them or emailed them or messaged them one time. And within three days, one week, a month, I had all my money back. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so cool. That's exactly what I heard yesterday when I spoke with this woman about yeah. her her storm damage. She had been working with her insurance provider for a very long time. They had told her no repeatedly. And Annette sent a letter to the business on her behalf. And within 12 hours, she said, I was getting a call from quote, every manager over there. And mm-hmm. she had, uh, a promise to have a new roof within a few days and then within two weeks she had a new roof. So that's an exciting example of how Context 6 can work in action. I think about the number of topics that Annette needs to be well-versed in or yeah. learn about. And we talked about this on the way into the podcast studio today. I said, I, I'm just impressed at the very the sheer number of things that you suddenly have to become a fast expert on, at least enough to tell a story for that given uh, that mm-hmm. given week, and then you're on to another, uh, another piece, but you're always learning about something new. And when we come back, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about one of those topics I know you've reported a lot on, and that is evictions in Wisconsin. Some big changes that have just happened. We'll talk about that in a minute. So evictions in Wisconsin, uh, there was a moratorium we've talked about here before during the pandemic. Uh, Landlords were prohibited from evicting people from places because they couldn't afford to pay. This was an emergency situation. Obviously, that's changed. The moratorium's been lifted. Now some more changes are coming. Uh, Evictions are being heard back in a physical courthouse again, but that's not all. Tell us about 
a little bit about what's going on with that, Jenna. So there was recently uh, a decision by Wisconsin Supreme Court. They held a hearing back on October 6th, and what they were asked to do is to review a petition to change a court rule saying that the length of time evictions remained on record, these are evictions with no money judgments attached to them, um, should be reduced from 20 years to one year. That's what the petition said. And and we're on a podcast called Open Records. So mm-hmm. we're actually talking about a, a, a pretty substantial restriction on access to public records. Right now, those things are there for 20 years. And we're talking, they, they wanted to take it all the way down to one. They did want to take it and, down. And to why one is year. that? Well, it's a balancing act between making sure that people can overcome the stigma of an eviction and the difficulties that can create for finding housing and also being fair to landlords who use these records to identify patterns and to screen tenants. So the Supreme Court took up this petition and they actually decided to support an amended version of it. They voted four to three liberals to conservatives to uh, modify it, increasing the requested year from one year to two years. And that actually aligns the court with some legislative policy that was already passed that reduced eviction record retention on the state court website from 20 years to two years. So now we've got two rules in the state of Wisconsin that line up with each other, because when that happens and they don't line up, there's inconsistencies across the state and how records are being retained in different places. So basically we have this online website, CCAP, as journalists, we're very familiar with it. And before, you know, or actually as it stands now, because this rule hasn't gone into effect yet, people can log on, find eviction records up to 20 years back. And people who have evictions would say, it's not really fair to judge me on something that happened 10, 15 years ago, especially when you don't know the circumstances or I've had to work really hard to overcome a difficult time in my life. So this uh, will make a very big difference when it goes into effect, which might be next year or the year after once the, the order is drafted. Who came up with the petition or who first had filed it? Because was it, you know, landlords who are looking? Is it the is it the tenants? So this petition to reduce it to one year came from the legal action of Wisconsin. It's a free legal service that we interview quite a bit with Contact Six. Excuse me. And they basically um, had asked for one year saying it can really have a, a Uh, impact on women and people of color and reinforced segregation, which is an issue that we have here in Milwaukee. It forces people into lower quality housing. It can really disrupt a family if they can't find consistent Mm -hmm. housing. And it may lead to higher down payments that are required of people who don't have a lot of money to begin with. So basically, they're saying it takes a lot to overcome that stigma Two years, one year, they're happy with two. Well, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Some go ahead. of the, so some of those tenants too. I mean, the people that were living there now during the pandemic, there were a lot of eased restrictions and you know delays in having to pay your rent. And so, you know, is this kind of coming on the heels of hey, we're back, kind of in a full swing of rent is due right now, otherwise you will be evicted. Right, we don't see that kind of funding we saw that was available through like the Social Development Commission and Community Advocates, that money has run out. So there there are no assistance programs available anymore. So this will hopefully um, help some of those people, not immediately though, it isn't in effect yet. But um, 
landlords have mixed feelings about it, depending on who you asked. Um, some say this is too short. Some want to see three or four or five year um, retention periods. So they're not. Records. They're not saying we want to keep it at twenty, though. You didn't. No. You didn't hear that from like the landlords or renters associations. No, and actually, when you speak with certain associations that represent rental property owners, they'll say they actually feel like they won because they supported this legislative policy that was voted on in 2018 that reduced record retention to two years. So they're saying this really just lined it up with what we already said we were okay with, but legal action is celebrating. They feel like this is a huge victory for them and for the people who are facing housing instability. And think about the market right now for buying or for renting an apartment. It's very mm -hmm. competitive. Prices are higher. And imagine you have an eviction on your record. It's even harder to get into some of these desirable locations. So the two-year retention and keeping it online and all of that sort of that, that was that was a compromise essentially here because you've got the the landlords who say, well, we want a little more than a year, but mm -hmm. legal action is saying this is this is a 10%. It's a 90% reduction from what was there before. So both sides feel good. It is interesting when I you reach out to two sides of an issue and they're both telling you we're okay with this. Yeah. And there was some discussion on the among those Supreme Court justices who didn't agree on it. We'll get more of their opinions on things later on. On if they submit them when the order is drafted. But we had um, Justice Hagedorn on one side, a conservative, saying, I don't see why we're restricting records in response to this issue and also saying, hey, for these clerks, this is a more administrative burden on them to have to do more work to remove these records. But on the other hand, you had justices like Rebecca Dallet who were saying, clearly this isn't working. They heard a lot of testimony from people saying, how eviction had impacted their life for decades. And we had an inconsistent rules on the book. So is, they, is this one of those cases sides. though? We have we have uh, the newest, most newly elected Supreme Court Justice Janet Protosewitz, who's obviously swung the balance of power toward more liberal justices. And, and was this one of those that the writing was on the wall for maybe the renters associations who go, okay, it's gonna probably go four to three in their favor. We wanna get something out of this. One year's just not enough. Is that maybe why they're feeling good about two years is this is maybe the best they could have hoped for? You could speculate that's the reason why. When I asked them that, they wouldn't acknowledge it. They actually don't like us pointing out it's conservatives to liberals because they feel like they actually came out okay in this and it wasn't like they aligned only with the conservatives here. They felt like the liberals kind of supported them too by increasing it to two years. So I don't know if I'd be comfortable speaking to that, but I, I know that they feel like they came out okay here. I, one thing I do wonder, and this, I think it's an important point, you said this only applies to cases where there's not a money judgment involved. So number one, I, that raises the question, how often do evictions occur where there's not a money judgment? It would seem to me that the reason That's you get why. evicted is you haven't yeah. paid your rent. I'm actually told that there are landlords who don't pursue money judgments all that often because they're not all that likely to recoup it. That's what the apartment associations will mm -hmm. say. They'll say landlords, contrary to co public opinion, they'll say they actually don't like evictions that much. A lot of them because they're time consuming and expensive and they're not all that guaranteed to recoup any money owed at the end. But that's a really good point for cases with their money judgments, such as back rent that is owed, or maybe you have to pay for court costs. Those cases will remain for 20 years. So if it's one of those where the, the landlord is saying you haven't paid, I just want you out, but they don't actually pursue a judgment to collect the back mm -hmm. rent, this that would still fall under the this is going away after two years. Yes. 
Yes. And there are other people who had argued that they're, um, they're, they were, they were wrongly evicted under the, the terms of the eviction were not accurate. They shouldn't have been evicted and their records were remaining as well. So that was another counter argument saying I shouldn't have been evicted in the first place. And I have this eviction on my record. It's totally unfair. So those cases, unless there's a money judgment, which there probably isn't, those would be wiped out too after two years. So one of the things that with these stories is we have usually a, a, a person, someone who has dealt with this, gone through it, um, and last year you did talk with someone, a man who had an eviction record. So what kind of challenges was he facing and and how did all of that shake out for him? Yeah, we spoke with Larry Jones in Milwaukee back in 2021 and he had been evicted that year. Actually, I've interviewed him, I've interviewed him oh, in 2022. Yeah. He was evicted in 2021. Sometimes I have to go rrr, rrr, rewind. <laughs> um, so Larry was having difficulty finding housing. And after he was evicted, he said it was his first eviction. He ended up living in his car for eight months, unable to find a new place. And he was running into landlords who said no evictions in the last 10 years. And he was saying, I have an eviction on my record this year. I'm in a lot of trouble here. Mm -hmm. And he eventually did get a new apartment, but he had to sell his van to pay a larger down payment in order to secure it because the landlord identified him as a risk because Mm -hmm. he had an eviction within one year. So Larry would still have that on his record, but it would go away after two years. And Larry was saying, I am doing whatever I can to stay in this apartment because after living in my van for eight years on the streets of Milwaukee, it's not something I want to repeat. So that was kind of putting a, a personal face on just kind of the challenges people can face once they've gone through an eviction. Well, and I imagine if you have been paying faithfully at a place for maybe a few years and five years back you had an eviction, but you've been paying, you haven't been evicted again from any place and you go, I I just want to move. I need to find a new place to have that sort of as an albatross over you really could be a hindrance to getting a new place. If someone's looking back at that five years, 10 year old record and saying, I just don't know if I can take the risk on you, especially in a competitive environment, as you said. Right. And unfortunately, legal action will tell you the face of eviction in Milwaukee is single black mothers and their children. And evictions can be very traumatic for a family. We hear in our newsroom quite a bit about families living in their cars or going from shelter to shelter. Mm -hmm. And it's very disruptive for the kids who have to switch schools or will miss school. And it's it's trying to avoid this problem for those people in particular. And we went to eviction court for this story and it's, it's not a happy place to be. You do see kids Mm -hmm. there. You do see families there and it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a happy place to be. Well, and those just recently came back to in-person. There's a lot of things that have stayed zoom, um, certain court processions, certain hearings and stuff, but this is back in person. Yeah. So one of our reporters, Bill Miston, who goes to the courthouse a lot, he had noticed more foot traffic and inquired about it. And he had been told actually, eviction court has resumed and that's upwards of 120 cases a day and we confirmed with the court that yes in-person eviction cases resumed in mid-august and as we mentioned before they went fully on zoom during the pandemic and i've already heard from at least one lawyer who's unhappy about court being back in person saying it's time consuming i could just be sitting at my desk doing work i wonder though (laughs) if that that also impacts how easy it is to evict someone if you can just do it from you know with a cat on your lap at home maybe maybe there is something to be said for just that little is this Mm -hmm. important enough you need this person out show up for court. Right. Well, either way, the court decided that that's what they want to do. They want to have people in the room. So the attorneys are there for the landlords. Uh, The tenants are there. They go into one of these three rooms with different commissioners. There are three 
commissioners who handle these cases in Milwaukee County, and now they're doing it in person again. And uh, yeah, that's a lot more people coming to the courthouse every day. All right, so this was a Supreme Court issue. We're going to take a break and we come back. We're going to talk about something the state legislature may be looking to resolve, and it has to do with something that women rely on, mammograms. But there is something, a trait that 40% of women share that makes mammograms potentially not enough to detect breast cancer. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We talked about evictions and the Supreme Court weighing in here. There is a bill before the Wisconsin legislature that uh, would actually impact a lot of women in the state of Wisconsin. We know so many women. I think you you said it was like 5,500 women every year are diagnosed with breast cancer just in Wisconsin alone. Um, They're diagnosed. And for many women, that diagnosis comes from a mammogram. But for a lot of women, you found the mammogram simply isn't enough. And there's a push to take it a step further. Tell us a little bit about that. There is. So this story came to us. A woman wrote to us uh, for our segment. Her mother has or had breast cancer. She's a breast cancer survivor. This daughter is her caretaker. And her mother went in for a mammogram. And they got the results back that said clear. But she noticed at the bottom there was a notification that said, your loved one has dense breast tissue. Dense breast tissue can make uh, cancer harder to detect. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to get her mother's supplemental screening, like a breast ultrasound or an MRI, and insurance wasn't covering it. Now, in our conversations, I encouraged her to go back to the insurance company, and they went back and did make her um, some sort of offer where she could get more documentation from her doctors and letters, and they said they would cover something for $115. But this is a breast cancer survivor who was having difficulty getting supplemental testing. We have 40% of women who have dense breast tissue, and dense breast tissue can be a risk factor for breast cancer. And what I'm told is with mammograms, it's all white if you have dense breast mm-hmm. tissue. It can look like a snowstorm, and you're looking for uh, you know, a cancer, which also shows up white. So it's looking like a snowball in a snowstorm is, is mm-hmm. the analogy yeah. I was given if you're looking at it. Well, it you had those images in your story. If you watch Jenna's yeah. story on uh, Context 6, it, you, you can see how it would be really difficult to tell the difference between a, a, a spot of breast cancer and what is simply dense breast tissue. So I'm sure for yeah. the, the radiologists or those who are doing the mammograms or reading the mammograms, it's very difficult to distinguish between that when it's sort of hidden in that sea of white. Right, and that's what this bill that we're talking about today wants to change. So this bill would require health insurers cover supplemental screening, such as a breast ultrasound or a breast MRI for women with dense breast tissue if they want to go that route. There is a law in Wisconsin that Governor Walker signed into effect that requires uh, providers of mammograms notify women if they have dense breast tissue, which is what that woman noticed on the bottom of the paper when she wrote to us. Mm-hmm. So women are notified, but they aren't told you need to get this or you should get this. It's up to them. But if they choose to go that route, it's not always covered by insurance. And think about it. If these can cost, as the Breast Cancer Coalition estimates, 200 to $1,000 for a supplemental test, are you going to go that route if you right. don't think you have cancer or if you don't have risk factors or you don't no have family history? You you That's, right. yeah. There's no one saying you really ought to get this checked out a little further. Right. They'll say you're probably fine, but right. maybe you're not. And they're saying, you know, the woman in our story, Linda, was saying, if I had known about this, it would have saved my life because I had mammograms that came back clear and I, I wasn't actually cancer free. Right. Or even someone to say, I mean, because sometimes 
you hear, okay, um, myself, for example, like they'll, you know, you do the screening and they say, okay, we'll look at the results. You may need a second to come back and do a follow-up screening. Um, but then sometimes they don't go, okay, that's going to cost extra money. And so, but in your head, you're like, well, of course it's my health. It's breast cancer. Potentially I better come back and get that extra screening. And you may not know everything about it. So then, like you said, it could cost anywhere from 115, 200 bucks to thousands of dollars. And think of all the people that live paycheck to paycheck in right. this state. If you're looking at hundreds of dollars for a test, you're not even sure that you need. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, oh, I'm probably fine. I got the mammogram. Everybody says just get your ma right. annual mammogram. And the Wisconsin Breast Cancer Coalition and a number of other organizations are saying, no, it, it's not enough for women with dense breast tissue. They should have the right to get this supplemental screening co screening covered. To to your point, Sarah, um, as I always say, I, do the, mm -hmm. I see your stories, I learn about a whole new subject, mm -hmm. and then I start doing research. And so this bill, Senate Bill 121, that mm -hmm. is currently before the Wisconsin legislature, there was a public hearing back in July mm -hmm. on this. And Linda, who was in your story, testified yes. in that public hearing. So I watched her testimony just this morning. And She's a, a tremendous advocate, a very powerful speaker. And when she talks about her story, she she tells that that very thing you say, she saw the notation at the bottom. She followed up and said, well, what does this mean? And they said, don't worry about it. Well, actually, in her case, she she was diagnosed 13 years ago. That's, I'm so sorry, that she didn't right, get the notification right. because that just went into effect a few years ago. Okay, but so she, she didn't so, even know she had dense breast tissue. Right. So she, she but but she talked about the need for this additional test and the cost of the MRI was something like, I think she said $5,000 mm -hmm. and her insurance said no. Yeah, I'll go back. So what happened was 13 years ago, Linda started having symptoms of breast cancer and that can be like pain or mm -hmm. it could be like an, an indent on your, your breast. And so she went in and they said, we think this is breast cancer. And interestingly, she had had a mammogram five weeks before that that came back clear. And here she was with the doctor saying, we think you have breast cancer. She wanted to get a supplemental test to confirm it, and she couldn't get insurance to cover it. Mm -hmm. And that was when her doctor said, we think you have breast cancer. So she had to wait another month, 13 years ago, to find out that she had breast cancer. And she found out she had metastatic stage four. And she says, looking back at past mammograms that she'd gotten in the years leading up to that, she feels strongly that she can see the cancer in kind of a, a, a cluster mm -hmm. of white in the side of her mammogram. So she was saying, if if I had had this option, if I had been told you can get a supplemental test or you should get one, I would have done it and it would have saved my life. Now she's a really interesting case because at the time she was given 18 to 24 months to live mm -hmm. and here she is 13 and a half years later, years, doctors yeah. don't know why. And the most powerful thing she said in that testimony was, doctors keep telling me I'm around longer than anyone who's been diagnosed at this stage with mm -hmm. this metastatic disease. And she said, I can only think there's one reason, and that is that I'm here to save the lives of other women. That's yeah. wonderful. You know, and she told me she had done an informal poll of 50 women diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and said, do you have dense tissue? And 48 of them told her yes, and two told her they didn't know. And that's important because the earlier you your cancer is found, the better your chances of fighting it. Linda is an anomaly. The fact mm -hmm. that she's still right. here 13 and a half years later. When we went to visit her and her granddaughter for this story, she was saying, I can't believe that I got to meet her. I was supposed to be dead a decade ago. Like, wow, how lucky am I to be here with my granddaughter? So she's she's aware of the time she has, but she's also aware that this is going to kill her. She said the doctors have been very mm -hmm. clear about that. She, she understands that, but she's still getting chemo 
every three weeks. Can you imagine that for, you know, 13 years? Just part years. of her regular yeah, ongoing yeah, life from here. part of her life. What right? really stood out to me, though, and thank you for that backstory for, from her, because the, uh, what what after going through that, where she's got this clear mammogram, you have the insurance company going, why do you need more testing? You got a clear mammogram just a few weeks yeah. ago, so why would we pay for another test? And she was prepared to go in and spend $5,000 out of pocket. But what stands out to me about that is, she had $5,000 to pay out of pocket. Mm -hmm. Most women aren't going to have that, or certainly very many aren't going to have that option. So had she been in that situation and said, I just can't afford it, maybe it's not diagnosed soon enough. Maybe she's not here 13 years later. Um, she said the insurance company ultimately did cover it. Mm -hmm. She got a last minute determination, but she was prepared to pay $5,000 out of her own pocket for this MRI, and of course, the MRI found that it was very clear she had, uh, you know, stage four. Right, and she's she's not alone. There were a lot of people that have submitted, or different associations that have submitted testimony. People too, um, speaking about personal experiences. But the Medical College of Wisconsin has said they support this. The Mayo Clinic, Ascension, American Cancer Society, and a lot of different associations representing gynecologists and radiologists. So they had a lot of people speaking in favor of this, but actually we don't know if it's going to pass. So we're going to, I, I, you were talking about it and you were just off the top of your head rattling off all these people who support it. And I actually printed out the sort of lobbying efforts on behalf of this bill. And there's a lot of organizations involved in lobbying. And as I'm looking down at this list uh, that you probably can't really see on the air, but it's the list from the state, uh, the Wisconsin Ethics, Ethics Commission page, a lot of green up arrows that represents an organization supporting this mm -hmm. bill. There are a few down arrows. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about who would oppose this and why in just a minute. So you talked about all those people who support this legislation, all these organizations that do, um, and obviously passionate testimony from breast cancer survivors um, at, at the state legislative hearing. There are a few organizations that do not support this, um, and, and most prominently that would be health insurance companies. What did you hear from the health insurance side of things? Why are they opposed to the supplemental testing other than the obvious? It would cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Right. So we uh, did include their perspective in our story. And basically, different associations submitted testimony saying there simply isn't enough evidence or research yet that would indicate whether this is helpful or harmful to have these supplemental screenings for people who simply have dense breast tissue and had normal mammograms. And the advocates would say, well, the key word there is yet, because the research is being done, but they're right that there aren't official recommendations yet that people get this supplemental screening. And they're saying without those official recommendations, without the research that supports this, you're putting the cart ahead of the horse. Let's wait until we have research. Advocates would say people will might die if we, if we wait. Yeah. It's very important to them. But they would say, it's we just we can't make a substantial change like this without the research and they would also say money right this isn't just money that's absorbed it's money that's passed along in increasing premiums and co-pays and those are the reasons health insurers and health plans say uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves let's wait until we have more research that supports this so are those insurers and others that maybe aren't um, for this bill are they quote unquote, louder than the, all the support. I see all those green arrows up. I mean, is this bill in well, your, you know, estimation, is this, 
will it pass? Well, the advocates for the different breast cancer groups don't think it has the votes to pass right now. And they're really focusing in on one or two people that can vote this up or down and out of committee. And interestingly, there's one member of the committee they're focusing on who is a breast cancer survivor who actually they don't think is going to vote in favor of it. I reached out to that senator um, for comment for the story, but she was out of town um, and they weren't able to provide anything. So they're hoping if they can flip one or two votes that it will pass and they wouldn't be alone in doing this there are something like 20 states plus dc Mm -hmm. that have already enacted this kind of legislation and they want wisconsin to join all those others i have a list of some of the cities that are the states that have passed it you know illinois indiana missouri ohio texas arizona interestingly Mm -hmm. a mix of red states and blue states and i will point out that this is a bipartisan bill there it's always interesting to see that when that happens, it's very clearly bipartisan and in, in the authors of it. When I was watching the testimony from this hearing back in July, uh, as a lobbyist from the Alliance of Health Insurers, I didn't realize they called mm-hmm. themselves AHI, but that's it. So AHI, AHI. Mm-hmm. And they talked about this, that, that following the evidence-based guidelines, there is, a, I think it was the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. Yes that actually makes recommendations on what kind of testing should be done. And in the case of breast cancer screening, as you said, they're not quite there yet on saying the evidence is there. Their determination was it's inconclusive. That doesn't mean it's not necessary or that it wouldn't be helpful. But right now, the research doesn't give them enough to say, yes, this is needed and the insurance company should pay for it. And the insurance companies are saying if they're not recommending it, we don't want to pay for this because it'll cost all of you extra on your co-pays and, and, and so forth and your, your premiums. Um, and that may be ultimately what holds it up in Wisconsin. But one of the things they added was that that same task force recommended urgently that the researchers get on this, mm-hmm. do the research, let's get a conclusive get, answer get data, so yeah. we can make this recommendation. <laughs> and I wonder, is that what maybe those lawmakers who are holding back on this say is we want to, to follow the process and let's see what the, the task force says on this. When they say, yes, we recommend it, then we go. Is that kind of the holdup? That's entirely possible. We've also heard that possibly they feel like insurance is already covering this in enough cases where women should be getting supplemental screening, but there could be lots of different opinions out there. I think we'll learn more about it when this is ultimately voted on, if anybody speaks on it, but it, it might not even make it out of the health committee. So we'll have to wait and see how that when you goes. make it standard mm-hmm. when it becomes standard and you said i think in, in the story something like 40 percent of women have this this uh you know have dense breast tissue mm-hmm. um but only a small fraction of them are actually going to have breast cancer right mm-hmm. you end up with a lot of what turn out to have been unnecessary screenings but for someone like linda looks back and goes that could have saved my life and that could save a lot of other people's lives maybe they're a small mm-hmm. fraction why wouldn't you do it That's obviously a hard thing to say no to. Well, in one of the testimonies I read, uh, they estimated that it costs 10 to 15 times more to do these supplemental tests compared Mm to a mammogram. So you're right. Those costs do get passed on. But we speak with people like Linda who say with certainty in their heart that they feel this is going to save lives and they know people who it would affect. Well, and I think, too. So I just had my first mammogram last year. I had just turned 40. But the thing is, too, is that I think the important note, too, is that, like, get the mammogram because that allows you to have a baseline so that maybe knowing that you have dense breast tissue and they see the mammogram the next year and it 
yeah, it looks the same. And maybe they don't say, okay, everything looks the same. We don't need that additional testing. So when you have a baseline, after you get that mammogram, whether it's, you know, you're just going for your first one or whatever, but they give it something to base it on so that they can see if there are any changes or differing in the how the mammogram ends up looking, the results. Right. And I hope people don't take away from this story. I shouldn't get a mammogram. They're not right. accurate. Right. For 60% of women, they're definitely accurate. And for 40% of women, as you pointed out, it doesn't mean they have cancer. It just means that it might be harder to detect and they might want to discuss with their doctor or decide for themselves uh, if that's something they want to do and go that route. And I think about technology is always changing. I've got to imagine MRIs are going to get cheaper as mm -hmm. time goes on. And, and so as the evidence comes out that this, if it is in fact necessary, as, as the, the things get cheaper as well, sort of maybe the, the, the gap between the two, you talk about it being 10 to 15 times more expensive to do this supplemental testing. Maybe in the future, it won't be that much more expensive. Yeah. So that could also be part of it. But I, I is it all reigns to be seen. You said there's 20 states already doing this. Right. The question is, will Wisconsin jump on board? Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to go off the record. All right, it is time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual and have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And as always, here to ask that question is Sarah Smith. Hello. Um, okay. We're talking about email. Okay. Okay. What is the most insincere phrase to use in an email? I will give you a few examples. Kindly. Mm. Cheers or best. I do best. Be oh, best. I do, do best you do best? Lines. Oh, oh I'm sorry. You said that because I was about to pounce on um, best. Oh, that's okay. Okay. Or maybe happy to jump on a call. <laughs> Because no one wants to jump on a call. I think a lot of those are salutations. And I think sometimes maybe the salutations seem a little like, I don't know if the word is insincere, but like, like kindly. Do you really mean kindly or is it just like, like, it's a little, um, like it sincerely seems a bit formal, but I feel you of. sincerely because it's, but, but is it insincere when I said sincerely? I don't know. It just, it's sort of a, I, I go back to type typing class. When we learned how to type business letters and yeah. sincerely was a... I, these Typical. things very rarely bother me. So like when I hear other people complain about it, I'm trying to rein in my own behavior. <laughs> yeah. So like I'll be typing emails like, hope you had a good weekend. And then I'm like, oh, people don't mm, like dilly, that. Dilly, but dilly, I dilly. actually hope they had a good weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, like I'll, I go it's, back yeah. and I like, try to like get rid of all the things I say that I, I'm hearing annoy other people. And I'm just telling you that I probably do them. Well, starting out with like, Hope this email finds you well. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I can't tell you how often I delete my, that. Yeah, but I too. do hope they're well. <laughs> Just not fair. even think it. That's You're right, okay. But it's like, I hope this finds you well, but also here's all this stuff that I'm mad about. <laughs> yeah. Or that you need to do for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Really here's some fast. action items. <laughs> I mean, I think of the things that, that are, and maybe this is more corporate speak, but it's corporate email stuff is the, like when someone asks for something that you've already written to them previously. And as per my previous email, per my last as email. Per my Don't email like of, her. I, yeah. actually, I get that I one. I'm, it's kind of passive aggressive. Oh, absolutely. Isn't it? It's 100% yeah. passive. Uh, no one puts aggressive. it on It's not even going, passive, I'm, is it? No, it's just aggressive. It's just aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> Circling back to my July 7th email, you'll yeah. see this section. Um, and, and now now my wife, uh, who uh, is has been working remotely for many, many years and is all it's all, you know, conference calls and, mm -hmm. and, and emails. Um, she is in the corporate world and it is all corporate speak. I get a kick out of listening to her conference calls, but then also reading her emails. And she's a, 
a sensational documenter. She documents mm-hmm. everything. So she does a lot of these circling back as per my email of this date. And she brings out the section and highlighted and that sort of thing. <laughs> and and there's no question. It's I don't even know if it's passive aggressive. I don't know if there's any passive in it. Well, I have this issue sometimes with our work where I have to like write in a different way to different people Mm -hmm. so like if i'm writing with viewers i have Mm -hmm. to make sure that i'm being more informal yeah because if i write things more formally and some people i do have to write more formally it can like start things out on a weird tone yeah and i have to balance that sometimes and try to make sure or even explain it it to viewers in a way that like we know what it means oh we can't go on a shoot to package this story right whatever they need some b-roll yeah yeah yeah. and they're just like i don't know what that means so you almost have to not talk to them like a child but say like hey we need to come to your house and get some video with our video camera you know just really explain it so it is a different tone i will say because we have an inner system like it's slack Mm -hmm. oh i think a lot of businesses use it like the messaging system the one that makes me insecure is when i see a lowercase k I'm like that person. That person oh, hates me. Yeah, I really upset this person with Ooh, that lowercase but, but k. But is there a difference between lowercase k and lowercase kk? Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there. Tell well, me, I need to. I know. think kk Why? is like you're happy, but yeah. you're like busy. Kk, all right, cool. But k is like, all right, fine, whatever. I could do without the kks. <laughs> I could do without it too, but I think it's happier tone. It, yeah. Yeah, but so a, thing, a single okay? case, a single K does seem a little bit short and K, curt, right? Like K, K, it's um, absolutely but short. KK, like you said, sort of like KK sounds good. See you later. <laughs> but then, like my daughter in real life, she's almost eleven. She says it in real life. K-K? Like I'll say, hey, okay, let's get ready to go to the library. KK. But you know what the ultimate example of that is and and how online and and sort of messaging and texting has has entered our our lexicon is in our vocal vocalization was was LOL. The idea that we say LOL to people is ridiculous. (laughs) I say it. I think you're supposed to sound like a laughing emoji now, not like the actual emojis are also for old people like us. Right. I mean, I emoji all the time. I basically talk in emojis and memes and gifts or whatever but i feel like i'm terrible with text messages because i i want that instant like what are you doing i know you're not doing anything text me back (laughs) so if i don't get a response specifically just with one of my friends my best friend and if he doesn't respond within like five ten minutes i just write cool (laughs) (laughs) isn't it strange though if you think about like now to call someone without texting first is aggressive that's aggressive Uh it is like why are they ringing me right i haven't even heard from you in like three weeks yeah i feel like i'm in the minority with that so i'd rather just call get it done done. and be done yeah business i get it when you're on the fly and you've got to make it happen fast but i feel like if it's like a friend or a relative and they haven't like and i maybe maybe this is a little too personal but my own daughter who you would think since she's younger she would know it's it's text first my daughter calls all the time and then if i don't answer she will immediately text and i'd say that. Text right. me first. Yeah. Hey, Dad, you got Can time you to talk and whatever. Um, and and I don't know if other people agree with that. That's just how I feel. Yeah. Uh, do you guys know the comedian Sebastian Maniscalco? Uh huh. Uh-huh. So he did a whole bit that's similar to this, but it's about the front doorbell ringing. <laughs> where it used oh, to be, right. somebody comes to the door and it's like, "Hey, you're here. So Come on good. in." And you know, we got an Entenmann's over here, and we get out some cake. Yeah. And now, if somebody now rings you, the doorbell, you dive under the couch or behind the couch. Yes, but yeah. it feels invasive what are like why are you here it's a delivery and now like the amazon oh. driver will hit the doorbell to let me know or the postal yeah, service yeah. will hit it and i think why do you you've just made the dogs go crazy yeah. my heart starts to yes who's here and i'm almost grateful to see them walking away because i, I don't have to have a human interaction you uh, mentioned the time to have the time to talk thing so like you call someone and if they answer then they have the time to talk if they don't answer they don't then you text them 
Yeah, but or if it, you're driving, I call people all the time yeah, when I'm driving. Or if I have too much to say in a text, if it's like logistics, like, okay, you meet me sure. here at 8 a.m. at this place and then we're going to go here. Like, I'd rather just call and talk that through. All right, let me bring it back to email for a second. Do okay, you, please. at the beginning <laughs> of an email, business or, or otherwise, do you sort of have an, a, an opening salutation, like a good afternoon or never, hey, Sarah, comma, or do you just no. start with the I thing? start with the words. Like, what what am I doing? I'm emailing you. I don't need to go, hi, Brian. It's like insinuated. You know I'm saying hi. My email is basically saying hi. Also, get it all depends these things on who I'm emailing. I do, too. Well, I do, too. I do, too. So. But then also, I'm, I'm signing the emails, and, like, people know who it is. It has my email yeah. address. So sometimes I'm like, do I need to... Right, Jenna, at the bottom of this, they probably know it's me. But then also, I, I still kind of space things out like I'm typing a formal business letter. Yeah. So I'll say like, oh, you know, I'm very much a spacer. Good yeah. afternoon, cheap so-and-so. Yeah. You know, dash enter, and then a line down. Yeah, yeah, me too. But I think, is that like, am I just the old man? No, that's that? definitely no. necessary. That's because, necessary. Okay. All right. We yes. have one uh, photojournalist here that I give crap all the time. No punctuation, no uh. spacing. And I'm like, dude. What are you Bro. doing? <laughs> it just, it's harder to read. It's harder to read, especially if you have a lot of information that you're trying to pass on in an email. Mm-hmm. When it's all cringed up and all the sentences are all together. New thought, dunk down. Dun. So from now on, will you guys tell me when I do Absolutely, something Jenna. irritating in my emails? <laughs> okay, thank well, you. Well, only if you promise hey, hey. to return the favor, because I, that's why I partly ask is, I don't know if people get my emails and think, why is this guy typing this out like he's in, you know, 19... 19- 85 type. I prefer it that way. Um, I would still prefer it that way. I'll keep my email. There's got her pretend type right over here. I'll still say good afternoon, Kale hyphen then. But um, (laughs) with Sarah, I'm just getting right to it. Right. Speaking of getting right to it, uh, if you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Jenna, thanks for being on. Of course. Sarah, as always. Always. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, like her and her, our editor, Dave Machuda, and of course, Kale Zimney running the switcher behind the scenes. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back next week. Next week.